Hello, hello, hello. My name is Bo Kazaza, and this recording is going to serve as my reflection for Moreland University Master of Education Special Education Specialization Module 22, Unit 2, Activity 2, Examining the Least Restrictive Environment. Specifically, we're going to be looking at the learning environment and grouping strategies within this reflection. So the goal of this reflection is to compare and contrast the classroom environment decided uh, by the cohort with my individual preferences as a classroom teacher regarding what it'll look like in terms of whole group instruction, small group instruction, individual instruction, and student support. <clears throat> so we'll walk through all three of those. Uh, I will articulate what the cohort, including myself, came up with, and then I will articulate my own standpoint regarding each of those three categories for what the classroom will look like. So let's jump right in with what the cohort uh, came up with for this particular topic here. If you hear that clicking sound, that's actually me scanning over to the mouse uh, function. So what it'll look like in the classroom for the least restrictive environment. Well, what the least restrictive environment looks like in the classroom is a general education classroom, straight up. And the cohort decided on a large general education classroom. Now, mind you, this assignment allowed for uh, the cohort, myself included, and that to um, create the ideal school. And in that ideal school, um, classrooms are large and spacious, which allows for different uh, setups and allows for plenty of space to meet students needs so classrooms are large in the group setting and i would put this in my own setting as well i think um, the more space kind of the better especially when you think in terms of accommodating students with particular needs um, having a small classroom space might not be beneficial to a student that is maybe uh, in a wheelchair so having that large classroom will certainly come in there um, <clears throat> To that end, some of the resources that the cohort included include um, noise canceling headphones, a, a picture exchange comm system, playing cards that have uh, large letters and braille included, as well as um, adaptive utensils and dishes for meals at school, sandpaper letters uh, in the lower grades, and um, small groups of students. Uh, to increase uh, student achievement in the bigger classroom. Low-tech assistive technology, post-it notes, highlighters, Velcro, et cetera. Um, and then also wheelchairs, beanbags, other, other sort of preferential seating, laptops and computers, as well as intera an interactive whiteboard to encourage students making learning more enjoyable and the like. Um, and then, so to run through those supports in my own classroom, I think all of those would be utilized um, as a upper elementary school teacher, I wouldn't really use sandpaper letters. Um, I think unless I had a student who specifically was unable to hold a pencil or a pencil wasn't going to work for them and typing wasn't going to work, then I think um, sandpaper letters might be a good way to get them in the function of creating a letter with their finger. And I might get them a, um, a touchpad where they could draw it as that upper resource kind of. Um, but all of these other, the low assistive technology, post-it notes, highlighters, yes, beanbag chairs, um, adaptive seating for wheelchairs and other accommodations, 100%, I'd include those in my own. Um, looking at playing cards of different varieties, large text, braille, yes, yes, and yes, playing cards are great for math instruction in particular. 
Um, great for that pictorial step moving from uh, concrete to illustrative to abstract. And then, of course, um, you know, things like noise canceling headphones, um, speech to text software, text to speech software, all of that. Yes. And yes, 100% would be included in my own. Um, looking at the different subjects that the cohort included, we've got reading, math, and then then those are the two subjects in particular. Um, for ELA, the group indicated that it would be kind of a um, <clears throat> two-pronged approach with a general teacher and then a specific support teacher um, whose work would target uh, specific students. So I think that would be um, an interesting setup. I think that could work in the ideal situation. In my own personal ideal setting, um, teaching reading, especially the younger grades, is so interesting in elementary because students are all at different levels, even in the general classroom. Um, so one of the things that I think is key is um, in my ideal school, I would still have the two-person setup. Uh, the main instructor or the person giving the mini lesson format, their goal would be to distill the lesson down so that every reading level could understand it, right? And then um, I would have the general class break up into uh, kind of homogeneous groups based on skill level. And then um, it would be kind of a half and half scenario where one of the teachers works with half the groups and one of the teachers works with the other half of the groups. Um, being seated in kind of a circle um, scenario for the direct instruction and mini lesson can be effective, certainly. Um, in my own classroom, I prefer to go with a general kind of purple rug scenario in front of the board. Students can select to use it if it's going to work for them. Um, being an upper elementary teacher, four, five, six, um, I would say that the uh, the goal is to have students kind of self-select their own learning environment, right? So a student in a wheelchair might uh, want to select a place near the front of the room where they have some open space. That way they're not going to be in it. Uh, some uh, student with classes might want to move so that there's less glare or maybe so that they can see things a little bit better. A student who um, has trouble sitting still might want to stand at the back of the room, etc. So I'd say that's a little bit different there. <clears throat> and then in the grouping, as I mentioned earlier, I would group in a specific way of, um, I would group homogeneously for ELA in particular, as students um, they benefit from working with someone who's on their level, that way they can grow and someone who would receive the lesson in the similar distilled fashion. Um, looking at math, <clears throat> I would say that, um, you know, math is a tricky subject because you have these three stages that you need to move through when you introduce new concepts going from concrete to pictorial to abstract. And a lot of times, especially as the instruction patterns grow, right, it can become so difficult to articulate a function or a principle in the concrete way. And so we do it, we jump right to a pictorial and most, and a lot of times teachers will only stay within the realm of the abstract. And this is kind of detrimental to students understanding and learning abilities. So the goal here would be in my own environment to be, to create a curriculum that allows for 
those three stages, concrete, pictorial, and abstract, with every new concept that's introduced. Because some students with special needs are really going to benefit from having that um, tactile, that concrete instruction. And without it, it's going to really set them uh, set them up at a disadvantage for grasping the concept or if they have it, it works. Um, and then also like making sure that they move through from the uh, concrete to the pictorial, representing what's happening with this mathematical principle or this idea using a picture, right? Drawing out the division into quotative or partitive, right? Showing, you know, showing the increase of exponents um, and how that's different than a standard multiplication, right? And being able to uh, being able to illustrate a fraction and show that um, those things as well. So in math, it would be really focused on those three stages and meeting students where they are. Uh, I would do partnerships in math in particular. I found that students uh, working in partnership one with a, one other peer during math time really sets them up for <clears throat> kind of the best success, allows them to do their own thinking and allows them to uh, to have a thought partner. So I would work in my ideal school, it would, the curriculum would be focused on those three stages to allow students with a range of accommodations to be in the classroom and to explore math concepts in the concrete, in the pictorial, and in the abstract stage, kind of meeting each student where they need to be. And this is gonna allow students with learning differences to stay in the classroom because they're not gonna just be subjected to the abstract idea of a concept or the abstract showing of a concept, right? And then having them work <clears throat> with a math partner that's either, once again, a homogeneous partner that's either at their level or slightly above, or maybe they're slightly above their partner's level, but relatively close and similar. That way you have a thought partner and a thinking partner. Um, so then thinking about in-class uh, small group instructions, and um, I think the group decided on Push in, having push-in services and a pull-out or recess room or resource room. And I think that in my ideal classroom environment, it would be mostly push-in services. Um, as mentioned in the LRE four-step plan, right? The goal is for students to be in that general education environment all the time. And so the goal of a learning services or a SPED department would be to come in, push in, and work with specific groups and the small group instruction. Um, and I think that this is kind of a key difference from what the cohort went with, including that resource room. For me, the resource room is if, if it's shown that it's needed, then yes. But the idea is that the resource room is you're, you're making a clear, making a clear distinction by changing the environment in that way, um, to a different environment in order to meet the student's needs. Um, and so. To that end, the small group work, having those individuals come in would really be having um, SPED uh, teachers and aides come in would really be in the push-in style. And that could look like in math, for example, it could mean that they push in and and work with a student um, who is, maybe they suffer, from, maybe they have uh, ADHD uh, inattentive and they're roughly like a month behind the curriculum, right? So maybe if the class is working on division, maybe the warm up for division is um, multiplication, looking at the inverse property 
and working through that inverse property, working with the knowledge. As I said, the student could be maybe a month behind, right? And so then having the uh, SPED aide or the SPED teacher push in and work with them in that way and kind of ramp them up and then bring them into the day's instruction like that. They spend, um, technically they do spend, they would spend less time working on the day's instruction, but they would get exposure, they would get some practice and it would essentially be connected to the previous topic as before. Similarly, a SPED uh, educator could come in and could explore topics or ideas around <clears throat> the concept or idea that the class is uh, working on. So for example, in ELA, if the class is working on identifying um, character uh, dynamics in realistic fiction, for example, maybe um, the SPED teacher comes in, pulls students, and works on identifying traits of a single character rather than looking at um, an entire story and all of the characters in a story, maybe working with a single character uh, and working on identifying their main traits, right? So still utilizing the skill, but looking at it from a broad perspective or doing work that is closely related in the push-in environment. Um, and so then <clears throat> looking at pulling out into the um, into the resource room, right? That's, as I mentioned before, that would be, in my ideal school, that would be um, solely if the student wasn't uh, able to be in the general education classroom for the entire day. So if that wasn't the case, then it would be first a small split and then slightly larger and slightly larger. Um, and the goal of the pullout room is so that the student can gain the skills and practice needed to rejoin the group rather than make that resource room a function of their um, of their time at the school, right? The goal is for them, it almost in a way functions in sort of a rehabilitation um, with the student being able to identify tools that will help them create the resource room environment around them in the classroom if they need be. So for example, it might be the student starts out in the resource room because it's a quieter environment, but after a while they learn they begin to um, understand that they can use noise-canceling headphones uh, or ask the teacher to work in a hallway or a different space during specific times in order to create that environment themselves and kind of self-advocate as needed. Um, and so then that way that can also be added into the student's accommodations on their IEP or their 504 plan in their profile. Looking at um, individual instruction um, as well, the um, the idea here as the uh, the idea that the uh, cohort went with was that individual instruction would happen in the breakout room, right? As the classroom, as the general classroom has twenty plus students in it, um, I think individual instruction uh, can work well. I think um, the I think I'm in my ideal environment. It would lean more towards um, individual instruction with as what the cohort said. Uh, having it happen in the resource room with most of the instruction happening in the classroom being either whole group, small group, and at some in some cases uh, speaking with a pair of students if they're working in partnership. Um, so that's going to wrap up this reflection looking at this specific environment. It's a little bit longer, but thank you for listening.